Hello and welcome to the All Terrain Podcast, brought to you by the Youth and Children's Ministry Unit of the Salvation Army in the UK and Republic of Ireland. My name is Matt White and in each episode I'll be inviting a guest to take a hypothetical hike with me as we find out about their real life journey to this point. Along the way, they'll make four choices and answer four questions. My guest for this episode is Dr. Krish Kandaya. Krish is the founding director of Home for Good, a charity seeking to find loving homes for children in the care system. He's written 13 books and is a regular contributor in the national press and radio. He lives in Oxfordshire with his wife and six children, and it was a real pleasure to chat to Krish earlier this month. So let's get straight into that conversation. Hello, Krish. Thanks for joining us. Hey, nice to be here. Uh, now, listen, we, we just obviously beforehand heard all about you. So much, so much. I mean, 13 books. I mean, have you written any since I said that? You haven't got another one out now, have you? We did write one in lockdown. Oh, but... So it's going to be 14 soon. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> your writing is fantastic. I mean, for anyone who hasn't oh, read thanks. it, I would absolutely recommend uh, Chris's books because they are brilliant. Like you're often writing about quite complex theology and subjects, but you find a way to make them really, I think, really graspable. And, and, oh, and really it's readable. kind. Thank so, you. Yeah, no, I, I, I love your writing. And, and also Home for Good, uh, which I mentioned in the intro. But what an amazing, what an amazing organisation. Tell us a bit about that. So Home for Good came out of our family's experience. We were foster parents and adoptive parents. And then we realised just how many children were waiting for loving families. And there were around 5,000 kids waiting for adoption. They were mainly wow. older children. And then we also recognised there were 9,000 more foster families needed. Wow. And so we did the math and worked out that of churches like the people that are listening here go to, um, there's at least 15,000. So we just needed one new family per church to foster mm. and adopt and the rest of the church wrap around them and we can meet the entire need. So wow. that's how the vision for the charity began. And uh, that was six years ago now. Wow. And it it is an amazing charity. And I, I say that from personal experience because we have worked with Home for Good. We've been to your conference and we oh, have adopted. Great. We're an adoptive family. So, hey, congratulations. Um, so we, we, we know a bit about how supportive that is. But also I think outside of that, it's not just a charity for people who want to adopt or see that as part of their future it's also about how the church can support adoptive families as well isn't it it's mm. for everyone that's right that's right there's so many opportunities for us to speak up and step up on behalf of vulnerable children and so yeah we'd encourage anyone to kind of visit the website and uh, find out more I think what you do is great and I, I absolutely agree get to the website because uh, even as a church I know churches can sign up as well can't they we've got church leaders who listen to this churches can sign up and get involved and there's so much they can do so yeah absolutely worth visiting that thanks Matt Let's get started. Now, before we get started on the, the big questions, we need to make two of your choices. So okay. It's a hypothetical hike or a metaphorical meander, but apparently that one's not as on trend. So we're in hypothetical hike. <laughs> so, Chris, where are we walking on this hypothetical hike? Oh, well, that, I found that a tough choice because um, in lockdown, I'm kind of just happy to be outside. So <laughs> Just happy to go to the house. I'll go kind of anywhere. Um, I've wanted to do the Camino, you know, the, oh, that yeah. huge, yeah. you know, uh, pilgrimage, as it mm. were. Um, but I'm scared there'll be loads of people on there. So that's, yeah, let's say the Camino. I'd like to do that. Oh, well, do well of course, of course, uh, Alexandra on Shire, who these questions are based on, Quadratos, that his huge passion for the Camino we talked about that whenever he's been on the show a couple of times it sounds wonderful really wonderful I'd like to do it too but now I'm worried that if I go I'll be one of those too many people you don't want there <laughs> so uh, I won't go when you go we'll make a deal we'll go at separate times that's all right we won't go good. together uh, and then who's coming with us so obviously I'm here you're here uh, but who's your dream company one living one dead one fictional who's coming with us oh man there's too many to choose but uh, today my yeah. choice would be Michael Sandel as my living okay because uh, I'm in the middle of his book on meritocracy and he's just 
he's raising some really interesting mm. questions about um, how society should work. And I think mm. he'd just be a very interesting conversation partner. I've seen him teach. He, he does an incredible online um, moral philosophy course. Okay. And he does it all through asking questions. Wow. And so I think he would ask great questions as well as give good answers. Mm. So I think we'd have a really good conversation. Fabulous. I've learned a lot from him. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the dead compatriot? Oh, man. Well, that's so difficult. I'd like, part of me just wants to choose my mum. Um, I miss her a lot. It's been 10 years since she died. There's so many things I'd like to just tell her about life and all that's happened. Um, and then, you know, I'd, I'd love to just pick the brains of Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Like, how did he stay hopeful oh. for so many years in prison and then come out and be so gracious to his captors? Um, so, yeah, it's either my mum or Nelson Mandela, and that's a really difficult choice. I, I think that probably sums up what a lot of people feel on this, because I think we all have those people that we would love to update, right? But then at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I, I had the privilege a few years ago of making a documentary about Nelson Mandela, and I thought I knew the story, but I didn't know the half of it. So to actually get to walk with him, to, to actually yeah. get to really get into it, uh, yeah, that would be incredible. Incredible. And a fictional character. Well, I've chosen a silly one, really. Um, J Jason Bourne. I'd quite like oh, to walk okay. with Jason Bourne. I think he could handle anything that kind of came at us. And I'd love to develop his skill set, mm. like to be able to walk in a room and memorise all the number plates in the car park. Yeah. You know, that, that would be pretty yeah. handy. So there you go. He, he's my kind of fun bit of fiction. Just one question on that one. It does feel like he attracts a bit of trouble, so I'm not sure how I feel about it. <laughs> Uh, it, it does because uh, there's a certain amount of those those characters right which is part of it is gosh you've got to be very unlucky to get in that much trouble and then you stand back and go nah nah you're, you've got to you've got to accept some responsibility for this Jess you've got to you've got to see your That's part right. you're playing you're in right. this that's true. It would be a pretty boring movie series if nothing actually happened to him though wouldn't it? it, it would I mean it would certainly change the Camino if Bourne was suddenly appearing <laughs> I mean Okay, so every guest here on the Ultra Podcast answers the same four questions. So, Chris, here's the first mm. one for you. How do you face change? So, change is a constant element of our lives as foster parents, mm. and it, it's something we've really struggled to adapt to. Um, but the way we've kind of come to understand it is our change is a lot less than the change that the children are facing. Mm. So, you know, some people tell me, oh, Chris, you know, how, how could you be a foster parent? Because um, I'd love the children too much to give them up at the end. And it is incredibly painful mm. to, you know, look after a child, love them as your own flesh and blood, and mm. then see them move on. Mm. And there's nothing you can do about it. You don't mm. get to choose where they go. Mm. And it's, it's really tough. Um, but I, I said to the person that I, I said that to me, I said, look, well, the, the problem is your definition of love. You know, basically you're saying you'd, you'd love someone so much that rather than be hurt by the experience of caring for them, mm. you're not going to get involved in their lives at all. Mm. That That's not called love. That's called self-preservation. And it's mm. totally acceptable, you mm. know, that not everybody's cut out to be a foster parent, mm. but let's just not confuse this as love. Um, it is really painful saying goodbye to a, a child mm. in foster care, but the, the, the flip side of the coin is these children have experienced an incredible amount of trauma. That's mm. why they're in care. You know, normally mm. something catastrophic has happened to them. They've been neglected or abused. And what they need when they come to you is stability. They need mm. someone reliable and safe. They need some kind of routine. Yeah. And, and that's what we try to provide in the most loving and caring environment we possibly can. Mm. And our aim is to kind of I suppose pour as much as much love and compassion into these children as we can while we've got them yeah 
And our hope is that's going to give them some resilience when they face their next change. Mm. And so for me, I, I want to help our family. I want to help these kids experience change by mm. just giving them that kind of sure foundation that there's a group of people that really are there for them. They're mm. going to cheer them on. They're going to love them no matter what. That That's our way of kind of coping with change in our family and change mm. for these kids. Let's talk a little bit about foster care, because, again, I think it's something that people ne- don't necessarily understand um, if you if you haven't experienced it or you haven't been part of it. So when we talk about foster care, how, how is that defined? What is foster care here in the UK? So foster care is often a kind of temporary arrangement where a child that is not your birth child comes into your family because they can't live with their birth family anymore. Mm. Um, it, it's something that the a social worker and a judge kind of decide that a child is not safe in its current environment. Mm. Um, you know, we've had a call at midnight. My wife has answered the, the phone. I don't know, I think she was fully awake and she just said yes. And then two and a half hours later, a police van's outside our house and four kids come out and you know that they they look shell-shocked they've mm-hmm. been removed from a domestic violence situation mm-hmm. and rather than keep them in a police cell or a hospital ward they need to be in a family mm-hmm. and that that's kind of emergency foster care mm-hmm. um there are other types like there's respite care so let's say um you know you've got a family wedding and you're a foster parent and someone's made the really kind decision that no children are allowed to come to the wedding but you really need to go to support the wedding. Mm-hmm. so children need to be somewhere else temporarily yeah, yeah. And that's respite care, mm. the people that, that provide that. And then there's kind of long-term foster carers. Mm. And we're, we're long-term foster carers too, in that children whose plan is always going to be in foster care, they're not available for adoption. Um, maybe they've got wider family they need to have contact with. Um, maybe the birth parents need some contact. Mm. Um, and so these children stay in foster care, normally until they're 18, if they're lucky until they're 21, mm. and then they age out. And um, so there, there are kind of three basic types emergency respite and long-term foster carers and and we talk about change obviously um often about ourselves but i guess one of your jobs as a foster carer is to help them face change exactly so so what have you learned about change from those experiences Mm -hmm. i i think you know so i I think of a a lad that turned up on our doorstep um again he'd come straight from a and e um he was taller than me he was only 13 he was kind of hunched over he couldn't give me eye contact Mm -hmm. Um, he had a big gash on his arm. Uh, sadly, a family member had attacked him. And he's just there in my lounge mm-hmm. and, you know, non-responsive. And, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to, you know, I'm normally reasonable at talking to people. I've had a youth work experience mm-hmm. and chat about whatever, but I, I couldn't get anything out of him. And then my kids turn up. They, they were, I think they were 12 and 13 at the time. And they challenged this lad. Well, they used a therapeutic tool that I didn't know about. We called an Xbox, and they challenged him <laughs> to a game of FIFA, and he won. Right, he wow. won, and and the, my boys were like, "Nice shot, mate. Well done. Well played." And and what are they doing? They are helping this lad know that he's in a safe environment. Mm. That there are people that are for him. Mm. That that he can be himself. That he doesn't need to be all locked in. He can come out, and he will be welcome. And you know, it, it was a radical change in just an hour mm. um, that he just looked more comfortable in his own skin. And I'd love to tell you that it was all happily ever after for him. That was just the beginning of, course, of a yeah. kind of journey for him. But for me, that that initial change from being so locked in, so uncertain, so worried, so traumatized mm. to suddenly being actually, I'm going to be OK here. These people are I, I can trust them. They're safe. Mm. Um, they're for me. 
that that is such a gift and i think people need that in their lives if you know that there are people that are for you that that will love you and will be your safety net you kind of handle anything you know so I, I think that's that's how we handle change is being able to rely on other people in our lives that can be that support and, and that, that kind of caring environment yeah. for us do you know what else i love about that answer which i think is really powerful is that um it wasn't you so so you are the the founding director of this foster and adoption charity you've had all <laughs> these kids through the door and actually the the recognition that actually you tried pretty much everything but actually there was this other part of your family unit who had everything that was needed and i think there's something beautiful about that as a lesson in terms of sometimes we can be so self like um reliant so so eager to go i know this mm. i've done this mm. i've had this experience i can do this and actually what it takes is you know a couple of teenagers to walk in and go yeah don't worry dad we got this fifa yeah it's like there's something <laughs> so beautiful about that picture that it, it gives me goosebumps the idea that actually it, it it was someone else it was it was having enough space and enough room for other people to come and help others navigate that change that feels really profound to me oh good man i mean we are a family unit and mm. it, it just confirms to me that the thing that children need in order to thrive is is a family around them mm. and it's great when it's your birth family when that works out that is wonderful yeah. but when that can't work out an alternative family through fostering or adoption that that is going to help you thrive and it isn't just your relationship with your parents mm. it's the relationship with siblings and grandparents and aunties and uncles a whole bunch mm. of people around you to mm. cheer you on that mm. really makes a difference and for for you and your wife then you talked about those calls and all the rest of it how do you guys navigate those changes how do you face those changes when they come in so regularly i guess what are your tips um yeah it's a good question i mean there are definitely days when we navigate it really well and there are def definitely days when we don't <laughs> I, I i think just um honesty being able to talk about mm. what's really going on um you know fostering adoption is a 24 hour a day seven day a week thing you know you don't it's it's, it's not like being a doctor where you kind of hang up your mm. your stethoscope and your 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 coat and, th and then mm. you go home your home is your hospital mm. it becomes the place where you want to try and help people to mm. heal and, and thrive um and you know so honesty really helps i think having again friends around you that will speak life and challenge and help to you that that really makes a difference and you know when the church can be that for you that that's incredible you know that it, that's the church acting in the way that it should do um so yeah those are probably the things that have helped mm. us the most I, I guess out of all of that that the answer does your answer to change does seem to come so much in other people the kids playing fifa you and your wife for each other that that support network it feels like change and community are, are very much interlinked for you would you say that's fair definitely definitely agree with that yeah in this particular year of 2020 running an organization like home for good and all the other things you do how has 2020 affected your view of change <laughs> i i think at one level um it's given me a lot of hope so uh, you know the, the church went digital in a weekend mm. i mean literally no one could have predicted we'd be able to do it and to be honest, most churches managed it pretty darn well. Mm. Um, and it, it would have taken, you know, years, decades for us to even, you know, get there. So we've had accelerated change and we've, mm. we've kind of made the most of that, which has been great. Um, I think there's there was this really exciting celebration and I'm, I'm scared we've lost it a little bit. But at least at the beginning of lockdown, we celebrated a whole bunch of people that weren't normally celebrated. Yeah. So we weren't cheering for football stars and movie, you know, stars. We were cheering for 
NHS workers or the people that picked up our rubbish right. or the, the, the guys that were serving us in co-op mm -hmm. and, and you think you know brilliant what a reboot of, mm -hmm. of uh, society's values that was exciting and I think we've we've recognized at least for a little while um, and I hope we don't kind of go back to the normal on this that there were so many things that we took for granted and we become more grateful. Mm. I've noticed I'm having longer chats with checkout people mm. at the supermarket, you know, just because people kind of crave human interaction, don't yeah. they? So it's not unusual for a stranger to ask you how you do it. Yeah. And for you and them to give a really real and honest answer. Yeah. I think that's been really exciting. Mm. So there's there's been a lot of um there's been a lot of positive things that have come out, even though it's been a unbelievably tragic time. Mm. We've lost um, our neighbour uh, died, uh, leaving behind two eight-year-old twins and a wife. Wow. Um, another neighbour about 100 metres from us uh, died suddenly as well uh, during lockdown, uh, leaving behind, a, you know, I think it's an 11-year-old son. So, you know, this, this is being a complete tragedy mm. for so many people. Um, and yet there's still been some really positive things that we've been able to do as a society. Mm. I think that takes us really neatly into question two, actually, which because question two is how do we move through suffering? And and mm. you've spoken about some of that in terms of, you know, neighbours who have, have, have passed away. We, we know that, you know, the statistics of deaths around COVID around the world and in the UK are harrowing. How do you move through suffering? <sighs> I think back to a, a time in my life that I was probably at my lowest ebb. Mm. Um, a whole bunch of things happened at once. I, I think it was Shakespeare that says, you know, um, worries, woes, suffering don't don't come in single file. They, they normally come all, all at once. <laughs> and there was a whole bunch of things I was facing at the same time. There, you know, my mother was given a terminal cancer diagnosis. Mm. Um, I was facing a really bizarre situation at work. Uh, that meant our home was at risk and we were just going through the process of uh, applying to be uh, foster parents so there was a lot mm. of stuff happening all, mm. all at once and um, I was really struggling to sleep I was str struggling to eat and those are two things I don't normally have any problem with <laughs> at all so th that that was it that was the kind of lowest point mm. and I'm trying everything you know I'm I'm going to the Psalms and, and reading those mm. parts of the Bible that always used to kind of ignite a spark and that, mm. that's not helping. Church was proving difficult because a lot of the people that were involved in work were involved in church. So that was, that couldn't be a respite. Um, and it was weird actually. It was the, it was the process of, I mean, it lasted quite a while. We, when we came to the point where we were going to adopt the little girl that we ended up being our first foster child. Mm. And it was that experience of adopting her that really changed things for me. Um, the circumstances didn't actually change radically. I, I was trying a few things to get out of, mm. out of it, but um, it was that experience of adopting her because she needed it mm. that really rebooted my understanding of how God felt about me. Um, you know, we know it, you know, theoretically, we know the Bible talks about adoption and it talks about it you know everywhere including the lord's prayer when mm. we say our father we're reaffirming the mm. fact that that we are god's children mm. not through birth you know jesus is the only true eternal son of god we get to be the children of god through adoption mm. and it was that experience of god's unbelievable unconditional never-ending love for me 
that I was experiencing in some tiny little cameo version in adopting mm. this little girl that rebooted me and gave me fresh hope and vision. Um, you know, it gave me confidence again um, that, you know, this had been a really bad set of circumstances, but God was still there mm. and we should risk doing something new and get out of it. Mm. And um, yeah, it was a real turning point. Mm. And, you know, this is way before Home for Good is even a dream. We're just mm. trying to figure it out for our family. Mm. But that that was a real turning point for us, just reconnecting with this doctrine of adoption and the lived experience of that. That's fascinating because, you know, you said that the, the circumstances around you, all those other things that were at the at the root of some of your suffering, none yeah. of those shifted in that moment. No. It was it was entirely about your perspective changing. What was there was there was there a specific moment or was it more of a gradual sort of awakening to that for you? I think it was a it was a few things. So I you know, when you are in the process of adopting someone, it, it's kind of unusual. well, it would be unusual if the adopting parts of the Bible don't jump out at you. Mm. So I'm finding mm. myself there a lot. Mm. And then it's you know, I'm I'm we're standing in court and there's a there's a kind of um celebration hearing but we we didn't they didn't call it a celebration hearing we now know it's a celebration hearing and then i thought this was it right <laughs> are, are we going to be grilled and, yeah. and we're kind of dressed up yeah. looking really smart i object and... i object <laughs> <laughs> so you know i don't know why but we're in the dock and the judge mm. is up there mm. and we're waiting for him to come in and he comes in and um he goes oh Mr. Kandaya, you know, so I understand that you work for the uh, Evangelical Alliance. I'm going, all oh, right. Uh, yep. What's what's that going to mean? You know, what's the next question? Mm. You know, what what has the Evangelical Alliance done that that might be on this judge's radar? Mm. It's like, oh my goodness, this is not going to go well. Uh, and then he said, yeah. What what's it like working with uh, Noel Edmonds? And I'm like, what? Noel Edmonds? Oh oh oh, you mean Joel Edwards? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> They look the same. I can see where you'd get that that mixed up. But anyway, he's, he he goes that I I um I I no, I don't normally like my job. You know, I'm normally sending people away to be mm. punished. But today I'm creating a family, mm. and he's got all the kids up there in in his little perch. Mm. Uh, he, he had his hammer, but he didn't have his wig on him. So our little ones are like banging the hammer yeah. everywhere, and, and it was just yeah, you know, the, when we got adopted into God's family. It was a legally binding thing that God said that he was going to do. Yeah. And God doesn't give up on stuff. Yeah. You know, God doesn't go, I've had enough. I'm a bit bored. This hasn't worked out. Yeah. You know, God's a God, God of covenant and yeah. commitment. And yeah. that's never going to change. Mm. So it, it was gradual, but there were definitely high points yes. in which it really kind of hit home for me. Yeah. I, I want to take a really slight detour just because of that story. But I, I do think it's an important point which is that uh, one of the things that often gets said about adoption is it's very difficult to do if you're a Christian very difficult to do if you're a Christian and I remember going to an event that you were speaking at hmm. now this would have been in central London many many years ago and someone asked you that question and I remember your answer which was brilliant which was you said yes if you walk up to a social worker and go Jesus told me to take the baby that might not come across as the most normal <laughs> way to respond <laughs> but but there is that there is that myth out there isn't there that it's harder to adopt if you're a Christian or somehow more different you know what, what, can you explain to people why that might not be the case? Sure, sure. So look, the, the process to adopt a child is invasive. Mm -hmm. They are going to ask you a lot of questions about a lot of stuff. 
Um, and, you know, Christians need to be wise about that and just understand things from the perspective of someone asking you questions who might not really understand the church. They might not speak, you know, the Christian dialect mm -hmm. and, and all the kind of in-house language. So just, just be sensible and think about how what you're saying might come across to try and empathise with the other person. Mm. But the reason why it's invasive is really important. So, you know, Im imagine if you've got birth children that you had to pick a stranger that you've never met before and ask them to raise your child for you. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that's the deal. You've got to pick a stranger, never met them before, and you've got to ask them to raise your child mm -hmm. um, and you'll have no more contact with them. Like, How many questions would you want to ask before you felt comfortable for that child to be raised by a stranger? Well, you are a stranger to the state. Right. As far as they, I mean, what do they know? They know, maybe know your tax returns, if you've got any, you know, parking tickets, but they know very little about you. And they don't know if you're a safe place for mm -hmm. a child that's already experienced trauma uh, to grow up and flourish. So, you know, they need to ask you a lot of questions. Mm. And if, if you're a social worker who really ha either hasn't had any contact with the church or you've only kind of read the headlines of certain newspapers, or maybe in your history you had a bad experience with the church, you might have some things that you need to work through. Mm -hmm. To be honest, that for us, that's been such a tiny percentage of social workers that are like that. But even those that do think like that, it's kind of understandable, and we need to just kind of help them deal with some prejudices and stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And again, Home, Home for Good want to help you with that. We, there's people that can you know, help you understand what the process is going to feel like and, and um, you know, the kind of things they're going to ask you, just so that you can kind of mentally prepare mm how you can, you know, be honest about your circumstances. So going back to suffering, in those moments then when you realised and when you were able to turn it around and realise that actually the way that God has adopted you into to God's family, mm. how does that then give you hope for suffering that might come in the future? How would you move through it differently next time because of that? So I've, I've been thinking about this. I've been, um, I've been trying to run every day um in lockdown I, I, i'm rubbish at running right i run really early in the morning so no one could possibly see me you know, <laughs> panting and you know wheezing as i as i run and i run the same route which is really boring but you know i could almost do it with my eyes closed which is handy because my glasses fog up when i'm running <laughs> but there's there's definitely it's definitely easier when you're on the return leg when you're when you're you're coming home you know that you could just taste breakfast you know mm. on the table even though you're kind of still a long way away mm. for some reason my legs don't feel so tired on the run home mm. than they do on the run out and this this journey we're on in life however hard it is however much pain we're going through is is a journey home mm. you know god says that he's coming to pick us up you know that jesus said it didn't he? i i will come to you and i'll take you to be with me so that you know in my father's house, there are many rooms. Why are there so many rooms in your father's house? Because mm. he's an adopting God and he loves bringing kids home. You know, mm -hmm. that's, so that, that really helps. You know, I, I've spoken to people who experienced far worse suffering than me. I, I spoke to a, a, a Rwandan leader who was there during the genocide. And, you know, he had, had opportunities to kind of leave the country and escape. And he stayed because he felt God was calling him wow. to be a peacemaker and he couldn't abandon his people during this kind of incredibly disastrous moment when I think a million people were killed in 100 days. Wow. Um, and he's he's holed up in the basement of his house with his family. You know, he, he's not armed. He's got there's nothing he could do. So he's holed up in the basement of the house 
and they're praying and he's reading the book of revelation because it, it give, it's giving him hope wow. that this this moment of of awful terror and horror and suffering is not the end of the story mm. the end of the story is the homecoming we get mm. to go and be with god forever mm. and he's going to sort everything out and and so i think you know adoption is part of that when, mm. when the bible talks about adoption it's normally in what you could call eschatological terms so in romans 8 it's talking about that the whole of creation's groaning and longing um you know for god to come and fix everything and mm. and, and and then it mentions and we as adopted children long for our adoption to be revealed so mm. you know our experience of adoption now is just part of the journey yeah and it gets fulfilled when we finally come home to god so yeah. it just means it really does mean the best is yet to come. Mm. And as I get older, I'm finding how much more important that is mm. that, you know, even though my body's wearing out and, you know, my friends and family are getting older and, you know, I'm, I'm more susceptible to disease and illness and sickness and all that kind of stuff. The best is yet to come mm. because we haven't come home yet. Mm. Fabulous. Well, we too are on the home strip because we've got two questions and two choices left. We're halfway through. So, Let's do one of your next choices, which is uh, what's on the playlist? <laughs> oh, man. So uh, I've got to admit, I have been addicted to the Hamilton soundtrack. Oh, yes. Forever. Yes. You know, well, we, we, um, my wife and I, we, we had our 25th wedding anniversary oh, last year. And uh, this, this was our big treat. We went to see Hamilton in London and it's just been just a continual part of oh. our soundtrack and then when disney did it and showed it on tv uh all our kids got to watch it yeah. and they love it oh. so it's it's either me playing it or the kids playing it and it's such a powerful challenging story in interestingly about an orphan yeah and um you know who who has again the most terrible starts mm. in life and yet still is able to do some incredible things. Yeah, so Hamilton soundtrack has yes. been, been on my playlist a lot. When uh, when Disney Plus launched, my son was desperate and I kept saying, oh, Sam, we've already got, you know, we've got Netflix, we've got Amazon, we got, I don't think we need another one. And then literally they announced <laughs> Hamilton was coming. I was like, I bought it, I bought it, it's done. <laughs> you were right, son, you were right all along. We're having it, we're having it. We're definitely having it. You get whatever you need. Good. So question three, how do we receive joy? Mm-hmm. All my answers are relatively related. So, you know, the book of Philippians is the clearest book where Paul unpacks what joy means mm. to him. And he takes such joy in other people. You know, they, they, mm. they are his joy. They, you know, he, he, he's talking about there being disunity in the church. And he says, you can make my joy complete by being like-minded. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's right, that that relationships are the, the conduit through which we experience joy. Mm. And um, if our relationships are out of kilter, it's very hard for us to experience joy. So, so there's something about people. God, mm. God made it so that we would need people. Um, e even in the, the Garden of Eden, before anything's gone wrong, the first thing that, that is said to be not right or not good is it's not good for man humans to be alone mm. and you go well hold on humans weren't alone they had god right god, god was walking in the garden and there was there was an unbroken relationship and everything was fine no sin in the world but god says no 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 it's still not good enough it's mm. not good 
until you've got other people to share it with. And that doesn't necessarily mean a romantic relationship, although they're wonderful. It can be a, a friendships, mm. it can be team, mm. um, it can be family, mm. but we were built for relationship. Mm. And I, I'm, you know, if I, if I zoom back to the kind of highlight reels of my life, um, which have been the most joyous moments, they've always involved other people. Mm. And, sure. you know, for us as a fostering family, I, I think of, I came home from work one day and it was, it'd been rubbish. We'd had a rubbish day at work. I don't, I don't suppose you have rubbish days at work, but I don't have a rubbish day at work. <laughs> Everything had gone wrong. All the meetings had gone terrible. Yeah. Wasn't making any progress anywhere. Yeah. And I walk in the door and I just want to collapse. And uh, we had a three-year-old with us uh, then. And he's like, hey, 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 Daddy Chris, Daddy Chris, let, let's, let's go to the park. Let's go to the park. I'm going, no, the park's the least place, you know, most likely place I want to be right yeah. now. But anyway, he, he convinced us that the park was the right place to go. So we go. And that was, and it's across the house, across the road from our house. That was the day we took the training wheels, the, the stabilizers off his bicycle. And he nailed it, right? He's zooming around wow. the park. And he's like, awesome, awesome, awesome. And uh, it was awesome. Mm. You know, it, it was, that that turned a completely rubbish day into mm. an amazing day. Mm. And it's, it's kind of burnt in my memory. And just mm. his joy in that moment was infectious I, mm. and i was excited to be a part of it it was mm. it was beautiful so i think I've, I've got those kind of highlight moments in my life and they mm. have normally involved someone else um you know experiencing joy having a turnaround something good happening you know a, a, a victory a, well, and, and it's when you get to be a part of that mm. i think that's where joy comes and i think that's how the bible understands it that we find joy through our interactions with other people through those friendships mm. through those sacrificial relationships you're right so many of your answers as is often the case in this podcast so many answers are linked together and and, and all of yours link to family to other people to community and relationship has family always held that place for you it's a good question um i didn't realize it but yes um you know as a young person growing up with my mum and my dad and my sister um, in, in Brighton. My mum came from India and had a pretty rough time of it coming mm. to the UK. She came when Britain wasn't very multicultural. Mm. Um, people were very mean to her. Um, she kind of fought a one woman resistance movement by, um, she, had, she, was, she inherited a house and just turned it into a student hostel and every friday night was open house and so she'd cook up a massive vat of curry and rice and anyone who didn't feel like they fitted in they'd come round and there were always people in our house that she was sharing food with Mm. and i I didn't realize it and i didn't value it you know Mm. i I was i was annoyed we had to eat curry every day (laughs) why can't we have fish fingers like all my mates mum and baked beans that's real food and it's like what an idiot you know now i'd I'd give my left arm for one of my mum's curries Mm. but there was there was a foundation that that my parents laid in hospitality Mm. and valuing relationships that you know we, we didn't live an extravagant lifestyle we weren't well off but there was always food and there was always welcome. And I, I think my parents did lay a really important foundation for me about what really matters in life. Did you see joy in your mum when she was doing that? Was that really evident in her? Yeah, yeah. She 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 was always in her best mood, in her best place when she she was serving up food. That's mm. that's my picture of her. Mm. Big smile on her face 
big dish of uh, food in front of her, putting it in, in, in front of somebody else mm. and, and watching people enjoy. Sometimes she wouldn't sit down. She, she did the kind of Indian mother thing where mm. she'd kind of hover mm, yeah. <laughs> and just yeah. go back and forth yeah. the, from the kitchen to <laughs> yeah. get more food yeah. out. So that, yeah, that definitely was an important part of how she found joy. And for you now, in these days, you've talked about, you know, um, the kids, the, the stuff. Where, where, where else do you find joy? Where does Chris Kandaya find joy in these moments? Um, so there is something really special about, you know, make, making a difference within the four walls of your house. And that's mm. become kind of more important in lockdown because mm. I'm spending so much mm. time here. Um, so I, you know, I, I love bedtime story time. We've, um, we're, we're reading Roald Dahl books at the moment. Oh, we just finished um, Danny Champion of the World. I don't great. know if you've ever read it. Yeah, I love it. It's just a beautiful book. Yeah. And, you know, the highlight at the end of the book is Danny and his dad are going into town, walking into town to buy an electric oven. And you go, how did you make this so emotional? Right, why, yeah. why am I so moved <laughs> by this? This is such a, a moment. And and it's it's just that beautiful relationship between mm. Danny and his dad. They haven't mm. got much, but they've got each other, and it's oh, it's fantastic. And mm. and you know, reading that to my eight year old, that's a lot of fun. Mm. Um, so there's there is definitely something exciting about thinking, you know, I I can't travel the world, but I I can I can be here. I can be reliable. I can input mm. into my kids' lives. That is beautiful. Mm. Um, but it's it, you know, I I, I, I also find joy in kind of setting myself some crazy you know target something that would be impossible to do mm. um and in lockdown people have been really open to try stuff out that they wouldn't have done before so i've, I've been able to organize some global summits from my garage wow. involving kind of government leaders and children in care and you know I've, it's really stressful because i'm way beyond my comfort zone mm. when it comes off there's something's like Oh my goodness! You know that Amazing. that was that was brilliant, mm. and so I guess there's a kind of a ripple effect. You know, the things that we know from our family and from you know what, what God's teaching us about hospitality and family and 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 um, joy that ripples out, and we think, well, we, you know, we need to share that. How, mm. how can we share that? And we could share that with the world. The world needs answers to these huge existential questions. They need policy help with. How we're going to, you know, look after vulnerable children, and mm. so th there's something exciting when your your home and your mission tie together. When that mm. happens, there is something really exciting. It's also sort of a wonderful legacy, really, because in the same way as I guess your mum laid that table and everyone was welcome, some of those summits, you're essentially just laying a table, right, and inviting people to come and share a story, hear something hear something they'd never heard before i mean i've i've seen through your social media some of the people who've been on those summits and some of the ways that people have been engaging it, it's it's the same thing just without the the food right it's, it's beautiful <laughs> that's right yeah that's a good point the, the last summit i did was um it was called the global children in care summit mm. and we had young people from around the world so honduras guatemala oh. brazil uh, Ukraine, uh, Romania, Sri Lanka, Australia, New Zealand, and they were the headline speakers, right? They were yeah, sharing so their good. stories, and government leaders were listening. So good. And you're right, you know that that's a really nice connection. I hadn't hadn't thought of that before. That that we are offering hospitality just by giving space for these mm. young people to to share their story as much mm. as they want to, in order that they might you know transform and inform government leaders. That that is. It's exciting. There's something powerful about people feeling safe enough to mm. be able to share who they are. 
Um, and so, yeah, they were very special, special times. Wonderful. Uh, one more question, one more choice. Now, we've talked a bit about food already, but what's coming in your snack bag for this walk? <laughs> well, the um, it's hard to pack a curry into a snack bag, yeah. uh, but I would do my best. Our, our, our family favourite. <laughs> So my, my dad grew up in Malaysia, even though his dad was Sri Lankan. And um, the Sri Lankans in Malaysia are normally Tamils and they, they cook a kind of um, bread. It's called roti chanai. Some people call it parata, but in Malaysia it's called roti chanai. Yeah. And uh, that I used to I used to love that with mutton curry. But my mm. eldest son has convinced me that um, reducing meat consumption is going to help the environment. So since january i'm 99.9 percent vegetarian he's wow. a vegan i can't i can't manage vegan um but we're vegetarian okay so what have you replaced and, the mutton with what's that well problem? i think i'm just gonna have some dal you know okay. i'm gonna have yeah. lentils yeah it's the way to go it's right? all right yeah, it'll work it works yeah it works <laughs> i mean to be fair if you don't tell him i won't if you want to bring the mutton with you on this one we can keep that between us no one will ever know fair enough mate. <laughs> So, Chris, it's our final question. How do we mature yep. in service? Um, so I, I think the basic idea is, is practice. Mm. So, you know, how, how, how do you get good at most things? They, they, they talk about the 10,000 hours, don't they, that you just do it over and over and over and over and over. I, I don't think it is always just 10,000 hours because I've, I've been driving my car for 10,000 hours, but I don't think I've improved in the last 9,500 hours. You're not Lewis Hamilton but, yet. <laughs> no, even if I did another thousand, I don't think I would be. So I, I think you need practice and then you need great, great mentors. Um, mm. You need people that can kind of either be mentors from afar that you're just watching them and you think, okay, how can I put what they're doing into my life? Mm. Or they're mentors that are close that, mm. that, that kind of help you. People always say it with, with fostering they say oh you know i'd love to foster but i'm worried it will damage my children uh and i'm going okay um the that, that's problematizing vulnerable children mm -hmm. it's seeing only the negative side of what they can bring um and that that's that we need to get rid of those stereotypes mm -hmm. that's not fair but i often say to people you know what, what are your ambitions for your children and hopefully they're they're christians and, and and they say well you know i want them to grow up i want them to be healthy i want them to get married i want them to get uh, a good job you know and i'm going that that's great but there's nothing specifically christian about that well they say oh okay well we want them to be like jesus okay brilliant well how would you describe jesus well jesus was compassionate and gracious mm. and generous okay well how do you think your kids become compassionate gracious and generous uh, we could do a Bible study on being compassionate, gracious, and generous. That that's good. I love the Bible, and the Bible is definitely a way in which we grow. But I don't think that's that's going to do it on its own. Or you could come to a, you know, if you're a charismatic, you come to the end of a service, and people lay hands on you, and maybe they'll zap compassion into your kids. You know, you had a mean kid, and then they just come to the front and zip. You know, that's how it happens. And so, I'm pretty sure that's not how transformation happens. How we mature. I think we mature as we practice you know, the opportunity of showing grace and generosity and compassion. And being a foster older brother or sister can be a great way that you can be, you know, compassionate and gracious and generous over and over and over. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's an accident that my boys welcomed that lad with an Xbox. No. I think it, they'd seen what their mum had done day by day by day with vulnerable kids. And they thought, 
we can step into that. Yeah. And and they did. Yeah. You know, it, it didn't come from nowhere. So mm. to cut a long story short, I would say we become like Jesus. We become mature in our service as we practice and are obedient with the things that God's called us to do. Mm. And we, be, we we grow then. We become gracious and compassionate and generous mm. day by day by just doing it. How do you see in practical terms those changes happening in other people? So you talked about how you have to practice stuff. When, when you see yourself giving and you see your family giving to those vulnerable kids, do you see the outworking of that then when they leave? You do. You see it, you see it in a couple of ways. You see it in the, the impact they've had on your your own family. Mm. Um, I notice my children growing in their ability to empathise, mm. understand, become more patient. You know, I'd love to say my kids are perfect. They're not. They have up, up, ups and downs mm. for sure. But in terms of their, you know, my daughter left for uni um, in September and she still wants to ring back mm. to, to particularly connect with our uh, our foster kids mm. uh, who have learning difficulties. And mm. she's so patient with them. Mm. Make, you know, she was worried about how they would cope with her not being around. Mm. And so she's investing in them, even though it's really tough being a first year student mm-hmm. in lockdown. It's mm-hmm. really hard to make friends. And she's been really generous with her time wow. that way. So I've seen that. And then with the kids themselves, you know, that that change. I remember a little boy that came into our lives and he had speech delay. And because of that, he'd he'd had a history of biting and stuff. And um, by the time he left us nine, nine months later, couldn't stop him speaking. Wow. You know, he was just so full of it. Wow. And you think, oh my goodness, you know, again, he's still got a long way to go. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and yet he'd felt safe. Yeah that here was a place where his voice could be heard, where he mattered, there yeah. were people being attentive to him, and it, it, it just flourished. It's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Um, so you, you go looking for that. You go yeah, looking for the growth and the the positivity yeah. um, because it, it's so encouraging when mm. you see it. Mm. Um, Chris, we're, we're almost done. I want to say thanks for being on the show, but I guess if you could say something to the people listening and, and maybe sitting going, oh, I've never thought about adoption or fostering or I didn't really know that was something that was even on the church's radar. Uh, what would be your kind of encouragement to them in this moment? So the Bible is really clear that God is a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows and orphans. Mm. If, if we're going to claim to be uh, followers of God, if our aspiration is to be godly, to mm. have God-like character, then caring for those that God cares for, prioritizing those that God prioritizes has got to be on our agenda. Mm. So this has to be not just an issue for the church or a project for the church. It's got to be a priority for the church because it's God's priority. Mm. So get involved. And there's loads of ways you can do it. Even if you can't be a foster parent or adoptive parent, you can support others. You can understand uh, where kids are coming from. Um, There's a massive need and COVID has just increased that. So uh, the kids of our nation need it, but the kids of our world need it too. Listen, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the Alter In podcast. Thanks, Matt. Wow, so much great stuff in that conversation with Chris. And I want to encourage you to check out the Home For Good website, which you can find at homeforgood.org.uk. There you can find out more about that brilliant organisation and the ways you can get involved in supporting their work. Well, that's it for this episode, but don't forget to share the podcast across your social media channels. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd love you to give the show a rating and write us a review. All these things help us get the show heard by even more people. 
Thanks for listening. I'll be back next time with another guest who'll be facing the four choices, answering the four questions and sharing their wisdom learned along the way on the All Terrain podcast. Podcast.